our Father and God in heaven. Father, we thank Thee for allowing us to gather together safely this Sunday morning for Your morning manna. And so, Father, I ask that I decrease and You increase and that Your Holy Spirit be here in marked manner. Father, in spite of myself and my frailties and my, my errorful ways, Father, in spite of myself, Father, may Your people be blessed by the preaching of the Word that your spirit be manifest in the sacred desk. Father, we are living near the crisis hour. Soon and very soon, your people will be called to do a most special work in a time of great opposition. And so, Father, today we ask that our hearts and minds and actions be touched by your word, that we may be prepared today to stand, so that when that great hour comes, when the call goes, who shall be able to stand? We will be there as your generation to vindicate your character. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 2008 is perhaps a very pivotal, pivotal year, year in the history of the United States. It was a time of most challenging circumstances. All throughout the world, there was cynicism towards the United States as reneging its advocacy for democracy and freedom. Scandals of personal liberties were rampant. There was a global economic crisis, and there were two major wars that the United States was fighting. Inside the United States, there was much hopelessness. There was much cynicism. But then arose a candidate for the United States that motivated the masses. His charismatic demeanor and his, his oratory skills gathered together people of every race and ethnicity, every social background, and they motivated together. People saw something beyond themselves. People in the midst of crisis, people in the midst of adversity saw hope in the horizon. And so people mobilized and, and made sacrifices and went door to door. They set up Facebook promotions and Twitter promotions and they advertised all around that a change was coming. That there was an audacity of hope in the scene that will restore the United States to its once great splendor. You know, it's interesting what the Bible says in placing our hopes in presidents and politicians. In Psalms 146, verse 3, the Bible says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Psalms 118, verse 9, the Bible says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. So although there was much hope placed upon this man, and brothers and sisters, if John McCain became president, I would still quote this text, because I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but the world does not realize that there's, there's another that's, that is to bring true hope and change to this world. 
There is a head of state that has yet to assert his full authority on this earth that is to come to bring a change to this world. And who is this head of state? Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 6. And one of you there, please say amen. Isaiah chapter 9, starting verse 6. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, starting verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with a judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the true counselor, the true president is Jesus Christ himself. And what hope is he seeking to bring to you and I? What's this change that he's seeking to, to provide for this hopeless world today? A world with economic crisis, a world of home foreclosures, a world of H1N1 viruses and child prostitution, a, war, a world of wars and rumors of wars. What is this Jesus seeking to bring in hope? Notice what the Bible says in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. The book, the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. And the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, that deny ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that, we might re he, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, of good works. So what is the blessed hope, brothers and sisters? The second coming. When Jesus comes to the clouds of glory, that is the blessed hope of this audacity of hope where a change is coming to this world. But under what condition will this blessed hope come about? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Brothers and sisters, is it okay if we study the Bible today, going from text to text? Amen. Matthew 24, starting with verse 3. You see, Jesus' followers, his disciples, were meeting outside the temple, and they went to Jesus privately, and they were also seeking for a hope. They were, they were also seeking for a change. At that time in Judea and Israel, Israel or Judah at that time, were oppressed by the Romans. They had great social problems and great social ills. They were looking for a hope. They were looking for a change. And they asked Jesus this question. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 24, starting in verse 3. 
When you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So we read in Titus that the blessed hope is the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, the disciples are asking, what are the signs of the coming and the end of the world? So the end of the world is connected with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, and he answers, and he gives them a Daniel and Revelation seminar. Can you say amen? amen. I want to be hearing Jesus giving you a Daniel and Re Revelation seminar. That would be powerful. And verse 4, Jesus says, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take ye that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And so, Jesus says that there's going to be a time period when many will come as though they are saying that they are Christ and deceive many. We have seen snapshots of this. We've seen it with the cult of Jim Jones. We've seen it with David Koresh. We've seen it with the Heaven's Gate cult that committed suicide thinking that their spirits will go to heaven through a UFO. We've seen it through even recently. I saw recently a few years ago in Nightline.com that there is a man in Russia who has established a commune where people from all around the world have gathered together thinking that he is Jesus. And so we see here the frequency that many are claiming to be false Christ. Verse, verse 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. You see, the word sorrows in original Hebrew means birth pains or labor contractions. You see, when a child is about to come, the contractions come more and more frequently. And have you noticed, brothers and sisters, during this time, especially this year in 2010, that the labor pains of earthquakes have grown more and more in greater frequency? We see here the signs of the times. Even last year, I was so surprised when Samoa and the Philippines and Indonesia, in the space of two weeks, natural disasters happened. And this year in 2010, we see here in Haiti and Chile and all these diverse places, more and more earthquakes are of greater frequency. Do you know in 2008 that in Yahoo.com, the Associated Press reported that in 2008 that never before in Earth's history have so many natural disasters caused so much property damage in the world. You see, brothers and sisters, we're living in some serious times. Verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And so the time before this blessed hope happens is a time of immense crisis. It's a time of immense 
uncertainty. But what message will usher in this blessed hope? What message will allow to bring hope to the whole world in a period of great crisis and uncertainty? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14, the Bible says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. You see, in order for that blessed hope to happen, those that are part of Jesus' election staff, those that are part of Jesus' ground forces that will knock on doors, that will advertise the coming of the new head of state, must publish this message to all the world, and then a change is going to come. But notice the circumstances of this gospel. You see, the Christian message is already worldwide. Every continent in the world has access to the Christian message. Even in periods or places of persecution, people could go to the internet and hear powerful messages of truth. I could think of the reports of Audioverse, where nations such as Iran and Saudi Arabia, they too are listening in to the wonderful words of life. And so we already know that the message of the gospel is to all the world, but why has that blessed hope not come yet? What is this gospel? Notice what the Bible says in verse 13 of the same chapter. The Bible says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So the Bible says in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. What is this gospel according to this chapter? That they that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. See, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as the witness to all nations. It's going to be preached in a period of great persecution. It's going to be preached in a great Crisis where people are going to hate and oppose the institution of this head of state. It's going to be preached in, in the most forbidding circumstances. And this gospel message is that he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, what is it that must endure for a man or a woman for the same to be saved so this gospel to be preached? What is this enduring? Notice what the Bible says in verse 12 of the same chapter. The Bible says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love, of my, the love of many shall wax cold. That word iniquity in the original Greek means lawlessness and sin. So in other words, the Bible is saying, What shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved, is love in the midst of lawlessness and sin. And so this gospel that will be preached to all the world as a witness to all nations is not only a theological gospel, but it is also an action gospel that those that love God and endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So in a crisis hour, this gospel will be demonstrated through action. You see, the, you see 
we have many definitions of love. Hollywood has these flowery images of guy meets girl, guy meets girl on date, beaches and all that foolishness. But what is love, brothers and sisters? What is true love? The Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, but this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous or burdensome. You see, when we love something, it's no chore, it's no burden. We will do everything we can to express that love. And so this gospel that will be preached is that those that truly love God will keep the commandments of God in a period of great opposition. And when a generation of people in the midst of persecution and in the midst of crisis will keep the law of God out of love for him through great opposition, then the blessed hope shall come. And the question is, will you and I have that love? You see, the Bible itself defines how love is. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, Charity or love suffereth long. And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. They that shall endure to the end, they shall be saved. Amen. And what will endure to the end? That charity, that love for God, and for the love for their neighbors as themselves. Amen. You see, true love is demonstrated in a crisis. Through opposition, we truly realize who we truly love. You see, not only this gospel message must be demonstrated in action. Notice what the Apostle Paul says about this gospel in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting verse 16. Notice the, this gospel on how we should proclaim it. Romans chapter 1, starting verse 16. When you're there, please say amen. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So what did Paul say about the gospel? What did he say? He was not, he was not ashamed. In other words, this is going to be a public, worldwide demonstration that everyone in the world will see if you and I are living out this everlasting gospel. And it's interesting that he said to the Jew first and then to the Greek. You see, back in the early Christian dispensation, do you know how bold it was for people to declare that Jesus was God? 
or Jesus is God, excuse me. You see, the crucifixion and the method of Jesus' execution would cause many at that time to doubt that Jesus is God. In fact, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, we don't have to turn there, but the Jews, according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, believe that those that hangeth on a tree are accursed by God. So when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a man that was died in a tree, where in the Jewish economy, anyone that died on a tree is accursed by God, that is not a popular message. And then the Greek. Why did Paul write about the Greeks? You see, the Greeks, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Greeks worshipped reason. Greeks revered education. You had to have a Harvard degree. You had to have an Ivy League degree in order for the Greeks to respect you. But do you know that Jesus was homeschooled? And so the Greeks are saying, are you telling me that I have to think that this, this God, this Jesus is homeschooled and I have to worship him? I worship degrees. And so this gospel that was unashamed by the, that was declared by the Apostle Paul in a period of great opposition, in a period of persecution at that time, Paul boldly declared, regardless of social convention, that Jesus is God. And so in the last days, we are to do the same. You know, it's interesting. We can be unashamed of the most foolish things. The chairman of this conference, Brother Josh Polovati, and I went to high school together. Now, in high school, at that time, I was a huge NBA basketball fan. But now as we go and grow in Christ in our sanctification process, I'm no longer concerned about the NBA. I realize that there's a game of life called the great controversy that demands all my attention. Amen. But at that time, Josh and I were the only Los Angeles Lakers fans in the whole academy. And we know we live in Oregon and people are fanatically loyal to the Portland Trailblazers. And do you know that people call us names, people hurled stuff at us, people ridiculed us, but we boldly wore our Laker colors no matter what the cost. We were unashamed. You see, if we could be unashamed about foolish things, if we could divert that to God, what great things could God do with his power? You see, God is seeking to raise up a generation of people that are unashamed to demonstrate that true Christianity is loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And so, in the waiting universe, they will see a people that follow the Lamb wherever He goest. And God is seeking to raise a generation that no matter what the cost, in a period of opposition and persecution, that will, they will boldly, unashamedly say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, this everlasting gospel, three angels' messages. And so God is calling you and I to demonstrate this gospel so that we can assist him. He doesn't need us. But he desires to work with us because God desires to cooperate with us because he loves us. He desires a friendship with us. So God is commissioning us, my child, I don't need you to finish this work, but I want you to help me finish the work, even though I don't need your help. What powerful grace that is. And so God is calling you and I to do a special work in a time of crisis.
But in the preaching of the end time gospel, something must happen in our own lives in order for this blessed hope to come forth. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. In the book of Revelation, you have the seven churches. You have the seven seals. You have the seven trumpets. And all, all chronicle particular phases of the history of, during, all articulate a place in history during the beginning of the apostolic era to the time of the second coming. And notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 10. Verse 7. Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. The Bible says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And so in order for this blessed hope, in order for this gospel to be preached to all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come, the seventh angel must sound that the mystery of God is finished. Now, what is this mystery of God? Notice what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 26. And when you're there, please say amen. amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. And the Bible says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known that what is the riches of the glory of the mysteries among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. So the mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now question, what is glory? Is it just this bright light, this bright Shekinah glory light that emanates from God? You see, there was a man thousands of years ago that asked the same question. This man, this man of God named Moses in Exodus 33 verse 18 asked God to show him his glory. And God responded in verse 19 that he will make his goodness pass before Moses. And when God's goodness passed before Moses, when Moses asked to show him his glory, notice his reaction. Notice Moses' reaction in Exodus 34. Exodus 34. Exodus 34. Verse 6. Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Bible says, and this is Moses' reaction when the goodness of God passed through Moses. The Bible says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. So the Bible says that God's glory is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and in truth. Now question, what are these descriptions of? Love. 
and God's character. You see, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is that the character of God is perfectly reproduced in his people in a period of great opposition. And the question is, will we avail ourselves and learn of Jesus day by day, moment by moment, on every day, so that we can reach the point when people see us, they'll see Jesus. You see, this glory is also defined by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as I bring some final points. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, as I bring some final points. And when you're there, please say amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have the treasure in earthen vessels, and the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You see, brothers and sisters, the glory of God is the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when we behold the glory of God, by beholding, we become changed. And in order for this blessed hope to come about, in order for the new head of state to assert all his authority on this earth for this change to come, his supporters, those that will cast the deciding vote, will have to do the greatest campaign in the midst of great persecution. When all the world hates this head of state, when this message is not popular, this final generation will demonstrate through their lives that they are truly acquainted with this head of state. And the question is, will you and I campaign for this head of state? You see, when President Obama was elected president of this great nation, he galvanized the young people. And young people left their college classes. Young people signed up to the campaign offices. They knocked on doors. They put signs. They posted posters. They had death threats. Yet they sought something bigger than themselves. They saw that they were making history. But brothers and sisters, imagine young people realizing the campaign for the true blessed hope. The man, Christ Jesus, that will bring true change. You see, one of my favorite authors wrote, with such an army of workers as our youth rightly trained, my furnished how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. You see, Jesus right now is in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus right now, his role is not king. 
Although he is sitting in the right hand of the throne of God, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, the Bible says right now he is serving as our high priest. But when probation closes, when there'll be no more mercy and intercession left, Jesus is going to take off his priestly robes. When the campaign is done, when it is finished, when the gospel is preached to all the world, and when God gathers together his final number to place Jesus back to his rightful role as the head of state of this earth, Jesus will wear his executive garb. And he will come down in the clouds of glory. And the Bible says in Revelation 19.11, it will be declared as a vesture that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will assert his authority to power, and then a change will be coming. And what is this change? Isaiah 65, verse 17, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and join my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. You see, the true change is a change of a new world. A world of no more suffering, sin, and death. A world of no more child abuse, of no more wars, of no more destruction. You see, the true hope comes from the blessed hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But that can only be accomplished until the tie-breaking vote is issued. And brothers and sisters, we hold the tiebreaker. You see, the forces of hell have cast their vote on their claims to this earth. The forces of heaven have cast their vote for the claims of this earth. And Jesus, through right and the power of the cross, has rightly asserted his authority to become king of this earth again. But in order for Jesus to be king, Jesus is not a dictator. He needs the permission of the citizens of this planet. And the question is, will those that campaign for this blessed hope, will they commit not only to preach this message, but to live it? See, the problem is, we don't live the message. I'm talking to myself. But once we live the message, the king shall come. And the question is, will we live the message? OIC, you have learned powerful truths throughout these meetings. You have learned that you have learned that God is the creator of God. You have learned about the sanctuary. You have learned about the gifts of prophecy given to God's true church. You have get, learned so much truth. You have learned that even though you have hereditary and cultivated tendencies, yet that God will give you victory. Now the question is, will you take what you learned and apply it and live it as a demonstration that you know the king? Amen. And that is the question. Will we? campaign for Jesus. In closing, I want to read you the lyrics of our theme song, or part of the lyrics of our theme song, We Have This Hope. The lyrics by Wayne Hooper writes, When the nations far and near shall wake and shout and sing, Hallelujah, Christ is King, we have this hope that burns within our hearts, hope in the coming 
of the Lord. What are we going to do, brothers and sisters? Prophecies already indicated that we're living near the crisis hour. And the global economic crisis has just has happened since 2008. And we know from James chapter 5, verse 1 through 8, that an economic crisis must happen so that in Revelation 13, we fulfilled that no man could buy or sell lest they have the mark of the beast. The system is already in place. And in a period of great crisis, what are we going to do? There's, there's a great work but short time. But praise God that Jesus has grace that each day Jesus is the greatest master teacher. He is going to give you an education far exceeds that of Harvard or Yale or any Ivy League institution. And the education is free for you and I. You have a free scholarship because Jesus paid it with the blood on the cross of Calvary. And so we have free divine education to preach this message. And the question is, Will we live this message? Our Father and God in heaven, Father, forgive me if I erred in the sacred desk. Father, I ask that you be with mind, heart, and deed as we seek the campaign for your Son to rightly assert his kingly power to establish that new earth and new heavens and so that the universe will be completely obliterated of all sin. Father, we are entrusted with a tie-breaking vote. And so, Father, help us to be bold and unashamed in declaring this message to all the world, not only through tongue and through theology and through meetings and, and crusades, but a demonstration in our lives. Father, through our crisis and our individual persecutions and trials, Father, help us to learn to trust on you. And brothers and sisters, as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, is there someone here today that says, Father, today, I want to enlist in your campaign. I want to enlist in your campaign, not only by knowing information in the Word of God, because we must know the Word of God, but have it penetrate our hearts so that the Word of God is manifested in the living demonstration in our everyday lives. The type of experience where husband is tender to wife and wife is tender to husband. The type of experience where families are united together in prayer and Bible study. That the type of experience when people enter your homes, they see the atmosphere of heaven. The type of experience that will make this gospel attractive so that many who have not heard of this hope will learn that soon the king is coming. The true king of hope. Jesus Christ. And if it's your desire today to say, Father, today, I want to enlist in this campaign, not only through tongue, but through action. If that is you, will you please kneel with me for a word of prayer, if that is you. Our Father and God in heaven, Father, we thank thee for your mercy and grace. Father, we do not deserve to campaign for you. Father, we are the most wicked, perverse generation in the history of this world. Father, throughout the 
passages of ancient history, the greats such as Daniel and, and John and Moses and, and Elijah and Elisha and all the great biblical heroes of old sought to be part of this final generation. But Father, you have picked us, weak, erring, sinful men and women, to finish this work. And so, Father, we ask that you work in us a great work. When people see us, may they see the face of Jesus Christ, lived out in every aspect of our lives. And Father, I ask that those that are struggling, those that are saying, this is such a high standard. But Father, through the meditation and beholding the cross of Calvary, the infinite cost that Jesus has given you and I, may they have the hope that they indeed can reach that standard, being propelled by your love for us. And so, Father, I ask that you be with us and strive with us and strengthen us as we march around, march around all the world to demonstrate your message. This we pray in Jesus Christ's name, in Christ's name, amen.